We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. everybody welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace and joining me is the one and only mike weiner Fachi. shout out to the pacers assistant coach mike weiner Fachi, what's going on brother that one i can live with i can live with that but man whew, alex preseason nba basketball has already tipped off not pacer basketball but this time it truly is right around the corner man i'm jacked up for it wednesday we finally get to see the pacers play the Charlotte Hornets. Now, I don't know where you're going to watch that game at. Uh, check League Pass. Check NBA.com. Check your illegal streams if you need to. But find a way to watch it because I'm very curious to see what is going to happen with this team, Fachi. But um, we really have to get into something today because, once again, Shams comes out with his Monday article. And what do we get again, Fachi? Nothing but Lakers and Pacers rumors once again. <laughs> Alex, we can't escape it. Behind yeah. the scenes, everybody who's listening, we're, we're, we're talking to each other saying like, all right, look, we can't keep, you know, talking about, you know, the Turner trade rumors and this. Like, let's give it a break. But the NBA isn't letting us give it a break because Shams drops the latest news talking about how the Pacers and Lakers were you know, pretty close to, to making a deal. But also things got a little bit more interesting when – the Memphis Grizzlies are a team that could enter the mix. Alex, shall I break down some of the details uh, that could involve the Grizzlies? Yeah, I think if anybody hasn't seen this stuff on social media or read it on The Athletic, I, I think it'd be good here, Fachi, to kind of highlight what was said. Sure thing. So originally, you know, the Pacers and Lakers, they had gotten close at times. However, with the Grizzlies entering the mix, the Grizzlies could take either a 2027 or 2029 first-round pick from the Lakers and start to include 
two first-rounders of their own, more recent picks that could either be appealing to Indiana or could help facilitate this deal from a, a three-team standpoint. As you know, that the framework previously had been centered around Buddy Heald and Miles Turner going to the Lakers in a deal that would send Russell Westbrook to the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers have been caught up on wanting both a 2027 and 2029 first-round pick from the Lakers, but the Lakers have been unwilling to include both of them. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the same news, different day, right? And mm -hmm, Exactly. It's nothing really significant. I think one of the more significant things here, Fachi, that was brought up is that they were having talks up until training camp, and they even pushed back their interview, uh, their media day, I guess you could say, because they were kind of pondering this idea, Fachi, what, if they were going to do this deal or not. So to me, I thought that's really interesting because didn't Chad Buchanan already say a couple of weeks ago that Miles Turner was going to be here opening night? So either A, this is all coming from the Lakers to make Rob Palenka look good. B, Chad Buchanan was somewhat lying <laughs> to cover himself. Or C, both A and B is correct. And I would lean more C, both Me A too. and B is correct. I, I still think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here, Fachi. But one of the key notes here, there's two key notes that I found here. But the first one was Pacers owner. Herb Simon showed increasing interest as the summer went on and having new lead guard Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, and Buddy Heald, uh, he wanted them to start the season together. So that's why the Pacers will not back off of their unprotected 27-29 picks from the Lakers. And then the last thing here, Fachi, that I thought was interesting was Miles Turner's name was brought up here in this conversation, but it said the Lakers um, – the Lakers were really thinking about this long and hard. They had to, you know, put all these factors into place because, according to Shams, the talented center's desire to reach is uh, to reach unrestricted free agency in 2023, along with an expected price tag that could begin at 25 million dollars per year. Fachi, this to me is where it gets really interesting. No, it's true because it does feel like Turner wants to test the market. I don't blame him. Could be heading towards a career year. But with that, it creates a major risk for the Lakers. If you are to include both the 2027 and 2029 first-round pick for Miles Turner and he you know, has had an injury history or walks in free agency, that's, that's a big price tag to give up for just one year. I mean, I know Buddy Heald is under contract for more than just this season. There is one additional year after this upcoming year. But for the Lakers, I get it. It's a risk. But then it becomes the question of how badly do you want to win and maximize LeBron James' remaining prime years? So I don't know if you saw this or not, Fachi, but Russell Westbrook completely took every post off of his social media today on Instagram. I wonder if the rumors are finally getting to him where he's just kind of tired of the cat and mice games here with, oh, the, they want him. They want to make this work. And to, oh, we want to trade him. Like, it's pretty obvious. Like, something is not being communicated correctly here to Russell Westbrook or what whatever's going on. But I will say this. There was one report today from a bunch of staff writers at The Athletics saying that LeBron James has put pressure on the front office to get a deal done, where Shams had the complete opposite report saying LeBron's putting no pressure on them. What are your thoughts on that, Fudge? 
LeBron has a history of putting pressure on the front office to make trades. We've seen in Cleveland, he he's traded quite a few teammates to start over. Then we also saw the final time around, he tried to put the pressure on Cleveland to make moves, and they wouldn't. And it was actually beneficial because LeBron ended up walking in free agency. So going to the Lakers. So it doesn't surprise me that he is putting the pressure on the front office once again. But at the same point, you're always going to hear mixed reports. That's what we've heard between Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. They're going to trade him. They're not going to trade him. His press conference was very awkward. I mean, he basically, they asked him, how does it feel that you might not want, you might not be wanted over here. And he answered to the best of his ability, but it feels like a trade is is imminent. It will happen at some point. We just don't know when. And at times it's felt very close to occurring. I think as soon as the Lakers start losing, you're going to feel more and more pressure from LeBron James to get him players that can help him win now. And I think this really does benefit the Pacers in this standpoint. But at the same time, I'm also curious, will the Pacers find a better deal than these two picks from the Lakers in 27 and 29 for an expiring Russell Westbrook? That's the golden question because when when you talk about so you're talking about an expiring Westbrook who probably never even plays a second for the Pacers, maybe even never reports to Indiana. Is that the best deal out there? But it coincides with what the Pacers are going for. You're talking about opening up playing time for Benedict Mather and Chris Duarte. You're talking about getting future assets. You're talking about getting you know more cap space for next year. So it is very appealing to that, especially in the fact that it inches the Pacers closer to being in the Victor Wembanyama uh, sweepstakes. So right over there, that is pretty appealing. I don't think a better offer is going to come until at least the trade deadline. We've got a crowded front court here of young players that need playing time. You've got a backcourt that needs young playing time, uh, young players that need playing time as well, Fachi. So I think if you look at it from the Pacers standpoint, yeah, this deal does make sense. They want to get more assets. They want to get younger. They want to give these time to develop or these young players time to develop. So, I'm I'm sure that while fans are tired of hearing about this, I'm tired of hearing about it as well. I just wanted to get done with if it's going to get done with. But I do think that to a certain degree, these trade talks have been serious. I think they have gotten pretty far. But I think ultimately the Lakers' inability to cough up both picks unprotected is what is keeping this at a stalemate right now. But I think it's only a matter of time until the Lakers make that final move uh, to, to finally get this deal done because LeBron James is going to be the one that puts the pressure on Rapalinka to get that deal done. Yeah, shout out to the Pacers front office for not budging over here. I do think that they have come a long way since these talks initially started, and I do still think they have a long way to go, but it feels like these two franchises have been talking quite often. Can't say it's every day, can't say it's every week, but we've heard these rumors now for what feels like at least two months. I mean, this has been, the Pacers and Lakers have been linked for the majority of free agency right over here. And it feels like it's just a matter of time. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a deal doesn't happen before the start of the season because we're getting that close. Yeah. But, man, I at the same point, if a deal did happen, it wouldn't surprise me either. So it almost feels like you could turn over your imaginary, you know, hourglass of sand. And by the time it runs out, a deal will get done. This feels very similar to the Karis Levert to the Cavs trade rumors that we heard all last season. It was ongoing for months until it finally worked out where both teams came to an agreement. 
I think the Pacers compromised on that one because they were the team trying to get off of a player. And I think that same thing is going to happen here with the Lakers trying to get off of a player. They're going to be forced into giving up both of these unprotected picks more than likely because of what's going on. Now, my last question for you, Fachi, in terms of everything that was reported, it said the Pacers were unwilling to you know, include a second round pick to make this deal go through. Would you be willing to give up a few second round picks to get that 27 and 29 first round pick from the Lakers unprotected? Would you give up those two second round picks for first round picks? Now, here's the thing. What second round picks are we talking? Because is this one of the Pacers second round picks that could be this year that could potentially be slated at maybe 33rd overall, something like that? That's actually a pretty good pick. So it, that's the real question is whose second round picks would we be giving up? Typically, yeah. I don't care about second round picks, but you know, every now and then, you know, you get the 31st overall pick, which is a second round pick. In this case, it was Andrew Nemhard, who the Pacers are very high on. So, you know, if it's a protected second round pick, oh, throw them in there all day. I really don't care. But if it's our actual, you know, second round pick, and I start to ask a couple questions. Yeah, What's depend- your thoughts on that? I agree. It depends on what they are. But I think at the end of the day, first-round picks are what's going to make trades way more appealing in the future. Yes. So if you have those tw- that, that 2027 and that 2029 first-round pick, if you're looking to make a move in the future, I think that's really going to help you going forward. But, Fachi, we've talked enough about this. If you guys want to read more about that, go to theathletic.com, and you guys can check out what Shams had to say. But let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk – about this team and this season that's upcoming and what we're excited to see on the court. So that is our beginning opener, the rumors, and now we're going to get to the basketball stuff. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we are back, and we're going to talk top five areas that the Pacers need to improve upon this season. Fachi, um, we know the Pacers have been addressing a lot of stuff at training camp and talking to the media about things, but I'm curious, what is one thing you'd like to see this team improve upon? I mean, it's only fitting to start with the defense. I mean, when I wrote my notes, I said defense in bold, italics, large font, whatever you need. (laughs) That's got to be the thing that's emphasized. And then, whoo. Man, where do I start on the defense? I mean, we can go with this. You know, the Pacers ranked 26th in the NBA last year and last in the East uh, for opponents' points per game at 114.9. Um, a turnstile in the subway or a revolving door that you have to push open gave more fight than what the Pacers gave last year. So I just feel like off the bat, 
right over there is a major point of emphasis, the opponent's points per game. Uh, how about we start with that? No, that's that's fine. Honestly, I put defense as one category because I could have literally used all five areas Me from too, what I, I saw. Quite I a lot of bullet points for this. So I don't I don't want to steal all your thunder here because defense no. is my number one thing too. But I will share a few things here, Fachi, that I found. And I don't know if you looked at the entirety of the season or just the last 26 games, but I looked at it from the last 26 games. Okay. So maybe that's where we'll be a little bit different. Yes, I, I did full so, season. Okay, so last year in the 26 games since the trade, the Pacers were last in defensive field goal percentage at 51%. They were last in defensive rating at 121.5, 25th in defensive rebounded, uh, re- defensive rebounding percentage, 29th in defensive rebounds per game, 28th in opponent's points off turnovers, 21st in opponent's second chance points, 26th in opponent's fast break points, 29th in opponent's points in the paint, Fachi. They were at the bottom on a lot of statistics on the defensive side of things. Nearly collected them all. When I say collected, I mean last in the league in just about every defensive category right there. Uh, You know, you talked about defensive rating the last 26 games. I mean, it was horrible. For the season, the Pacers' defensive rating of 116.1 was the worst in team history. I mean, that's how bad it was. And I know there's there's more possessions going around nowadays than years past, but still, it's bad. Then when you want to talk about three-point percentage, as a team, the Pacers tied the Kings for last in the NBA, allowing teams to shoot 37.2% from the perimeter. I mean, a team shooting 37% from three against us for the year? That's horrible. (laughs) Then what scared me a little bit was the Pacers shot 48 – I mean, the Pacers' opponents – shot 48.3% from the field for the season against us. That was good for last in the NBA. Then you told me over the last 26 games, that that percentage actually rose to, was it 51%? Yeah, 51%. I mean, that is just hard to even imagine. Yeah. Uh, then next, I mean, just three-point shooting as a team, I mean, well, I guess that's uh, more for an offensive category. So We'll we'll save that. So yeah. uh, from defensive categories, I mean it it was uh it was pretty shocking to see and it was even more terrifying to write down. Yeah, no, I was kind of surprised. I mean, no, I wasn't surprised. I shouldn't say that. I knew no. they were bad last year. It was just kind of like, wow, they are really bad on defense looking at everything. And I understand having Miles in there will help a little bit, but you also have to remember they lost a bonus as well during that time frame. So their rebounds obviously went down per game. It had to be more of a collective group type of thing. And they did play a much faster pace, so much more possessions, I think, could have hurt their overall statistics in terms mm-hmm. of how they finished the year. But I'm not even saying I want them to be like top 10, top 15. I mean, I want them to be, but I'm not even asking for that. No. I think if they can finish in the top 20 in exactly. a lot of these categories, reasonable. Just, yeah, don't be the bottom third of the league, which they're probably going to be because it's a uh, another retooling year, another rebuilding year. But they need to really focus on the defense. I would honestly rather their offensive numbers drop because their offense was really successful that last 26 games of the season. And I'd rather see the offense come down a little bit to like the 15 to 18 range if that means their defense will go up to the 20 to 22 range uh, overall because I just think last in defensive rating, that's pretty pathetic. It really is, and that's the thing. If When you're asking for a team to be top 20, it doesn't feel like you're asking much, but – to, to be, you know, what looked like bottom three in just about every category, I mean, there's just no way you could be successful. 
right yeah. over there. It, it's just as you look at, for instance, the Charlotte Hornets, that was a team that was atrocious defensively. No matter how good they were offensively, it, they were never going to cut it. So you have to be respectable on defense. Uh, but number two for me, three-point shooting as a team. Okay. It's been an issue, and it's been an emphasis for a while. The Pacers shot 34.4% from three last season, which uh, you know was either good for or you could say bad enough for 25th in the NBA. It's just not cutting it for in a time where people are putting up far more threes than in years past. Pacers just were not making them. And then lastly, to bring in that three-point shooting over here, the Pacers ranked 15th in threes attempted at 35.4 and just 16th in threes made at 12.2 per game. So they were epitome of average from a three-point attempts and made category, but the percentage was just not there. Yeah, and if you look at their numbers the last 26 games, their three-point shooting was much, much, much better, Fachi. So mm-hmm. that is why I did not even put three-point shooting on the list. I looked at the numbers, but I was trying to go off the last 26 games for me personally. Just because that's when we had Halliburton and that group of young Buddy. players that was playing more, Buddy here, I kind of felt like it was more of an exa- uh, a sample size of who this team is because it's hard to include like the whole season when you don't have heck half the roster yeah. from last year. But you know, it's still a good point. Like they they still got to be a good three point shooting team. But I will say this: when looking it up number wise, you know, like where they shot on the floor, they they shot significantly more three pointers in the left corner than they did the right corner. I don't know why that is, but they did. So I'm curious to see if that's just part of the offense or if they can kind of balance it out and maybe get more three-point attempts from the right corner as well as the left corner as they're spreading the floor more. That could be something to kind of keep an eye on as well. But, you know, they they shot a pretty high percentage. I think for the majority of it, they were top 15, if I'm not mistaken, with the last 26 uh, games of the season. So that to me is really good, though, Fachi. If they can continue to keep it, at that that clip, that that will be huge. But if they can become like a top 10 three-point shooting team with all the players they've added to the roster during uh during the offseason and in, in, in the draft and free agency, I think that would be uh beneficial for this team moving forward. And they have that potential because a guy that we didn't even mention, Jalen Smith, another guy that came over in the second half, he gave the shot three ball well. So it really feels like the Pacers addressed that three-point shooting. I mean, you're also getting back a healthy Duarte. You know, hopefully Benedict Matherin can shoot a good percentage. You're hoping for Aaron Neesmith. You know, so it just feels like they have far more shooters this time around than in the first half where we were far more dependent on Justin Holiday than any team should be from three-point land. I mean, there was games where I remember him putting up 13 attempted threes per game, which I'm sorry, but that that's not what you want on any team. So right. Justin Holiday putting up that many. <laughs> um, number three on my list, I have Protect the Rock. I mean, look at this. So That like, was remember, number three on mine, surprisingly. Turnovers. <laughs> hey, great minds think alike. So last year, the Pacers had 13.6 turnovers per game. That ranked 22nd in the NBA, but it was a mere 0.3 turnovers off from being 28th in the NBA, bottom three. Now, when you're looking at it, okay, well, I mean, what's, what's the big deal there other than that's not good? But the previous year, the Pacers ranked 13th in the NBA. The year before that, 5th in the NBA in terms of protecting the rock. So we saw a massive decline over the last few years. And then I started to look at it and, and okay, well, we got Tyrese Halliburton now. Tyrese Halliburton is 26 games as a pacer, averaged 3.2 turnovers per game, a little bit higher than, than what you'd like. So I feel that Halliburton in this offense for the, a full year 
should be able to protect the ball better than, you know, last year. And it's just got to be a major emphasis for the Pacers this season. No, you're right, Fachi. And for me, when I was looking it up, they were 27th in turnovers, the final 26 games of the season. So right there where you said, just not too far away from it. But, yeah, it's just bad basketball overall. Um, I'll go back to one that I had as my number two, but we'll just keep it moving. It doesn't matter. Um, I had free throws. I don't know if you had free throws written down for your list, Fachi, but um, this time. I want them to be top 18 in these categories. And here are the categories I'm going to bring up, Fachi, last year. 22nd in free throw attempts the last 26 games. 21st in free throw percentage around 76.8%. If I I didn't write that number down, but if I remember doing my research, that's what it was. Now, this is where I want them to get much higher on this list. 26th in personal fouls drawn, Fachi. They've got to do a better job of getting to that free throw line, and I don't really know who that player is that's going to do that on this roster right now but it feels like someone that's got a good chance of eventually doing that is Benedict Matherin because of his size and upper body strength. But I worry about him getting the foul calls being a rookie. All, all valid points. I think the one reason why it wasn't on my list is because the last few years I've been banging at the table saying we got to get to the line a little bit more. The sad thing is in years past, I remember the Pacers being even worse at it. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of years ago, I want to say they were 29th and free throws attempted. So we're still nowhere near we want to be. And if the Pacers are to take that leap, they have to get to the line more. And like you mentioned, Matherin's a guy that moving forward, I believe can get to the line, but the Pacers have lacked that. Outside of Sabonis, they really had no free throw attempt presence over there in terms of any guy that was going to the line for what felt like more than four attempts per game. Yeah. No, that's... It's in, it's in remarkable how we have to get better at that, and it's sad that we've been talking about it for years. But years, it's it's one of those things. I don't know what's going to change that, um, but we're just going to figure out a better way to get to the line because it's the easiest basket <laughs> in the game. So it it's, is. It's, I mean, besides a wide open dunk, free throws, man. I mean, that's what you do in your sleep when you're an NBA player. So uh, number four, Fachi, what you got? Number four, rebounding. And I and I wanted to include this with defense, but I figured, hey, it's, it's it goes with this as well. Yeah. Defensive rebounding. The Pacers for last season ranked 26th in the NBA with 32.6 defensive rebounds per game. Better than only than Portland, Houston, Detroit, and ironically, the Toronto Raptors. So And they don't have a big man. Yeah. So when you look at, you know, three of those teams were, were, were you know, right where we were um, in the lottery, but it felt like countless times last year, the Pacers just didn't properly box out and it led to second chance points, especially what uh, quite a few times felt like crucial back-breaking situations. It even takes me back to game one last year against Charlotte when the Pacers couldn't secure that rebound at the end of the game and end up losing by one. Um, and, and that's just one example of, of countless examples. So also going into that, the Pacers allowed opponents to average 43 rebounds per game against them, which was the eighth most in the NBA. And then the reason why I said defensive rebounding, Alex, Alex ironically, the Pacers ranked fifth in the NBA in offensive rebounding. I know they 11, were good last year. Yeah, with 11.3 offensive rebounds per game, an area that Terry Taylor excelled in. But <laughs> you're, you're talking about how can we be the fifth best offensive rebounding team and then the 26th best or the fourth worst defensive rebounding yeah. team? I mean, it's, it's two polar opposites that there's got to be more of a balance over there. 
Yeah, and honestly, I'm not really sure what led to that besides just like, you know, rotating in defensive schemes and, you know, not boxing a guy out or long shots going out. I mean, this team, I think it's much more athletic now. They are. So they should be able to recover, number one, defensively, and number two, have a quicker reaction time to rebounds. I know that sounds crazy to say, but you're hoping that maybe with their speed, they'll be able to get to the ball a little bit quicker. But yeah, it's one of those things where you cannot wait for the ball to come to you. You have to go get the ball. And sometimes I've seen players kind of like wait for the ball to come to them. And that's part of just being tired in the middle of the game and stuff like that. But, you know, Fachi, that's that's a great point. Rebounding, I mean, if you can get, you know, up in the top 15 on defensive rebounds, you're going to make your yourself a lot better. Now, it's going to be really hard to do that, though, knowing where this team is at right now. But if they can improve at all, I think that's a, that's a big thing. So I'll go over to my number four here, Fachi. And that is converting in the restricted area. Okay. Mm, okay. The Pacers were second in attempts in the restricted area the last 26 games of the season at 30.5 attempts per game. They did make 19.5 of those attempts for a percentage of 63.9%. That sounds great. But if you look at it compared to the rest of the league, it's fifth, it's fifth worst in the NBA in the restricted area. Now they did have many more attempts than other teams did in that area. So that does kind of, you know, change the averages a little bit. But, for example, the Lakers averaged 29.2 attempts per game, so just 1.3 less than the Pacers, but converted on 69.4% of their attempts compared to our 63.9. So you're talking about a five-and-a-half-point difference there, basically, in, in terms of them having a higher success rate at converting in the paint. And so – I know that we've talked about this a little bit with like O'Shea finishing in the paint a little bit more, our bigs being able to finish in the paint a little bit more. I think if they can work on that, they're going to be much better. Uh, and hopefully we're seeing a lot more dunks. I didn't get a, a chance to look up how many dunks the Pacers had last year, but I know Rick Carlisle did bring that up and said he wants to see this team much higher in the dunks category than they have been. Yeah, I mean, the, the dunks that, or the lack of dunks has definitely been something that's been evident for the last few years. That's why it became like instantly an eye-opener when we started seeing Isaiah Jackson flushing alley-oops because it was just something that we had not had on this team in a while. And I do think that Halliburton can be getting guys far better looks at the rim, and, and that I'm very excited for. I hope that we can improve upon that because that's a big difference between what you just mentioned between us and the Lakers. I mean, mm -hmm. you're talking about – you're talking about an extra five points per game right over there. That's big. Yeah. So – uh, my last situation, uh, my, my last thing to improve upon was not a stat, but it's just late game situations just overall. <laughs> it just felt like <laughs> overall. Well, that's my last one is clutch time has been bad. Exactly. I mean, it's just <laughs> when it mattered most, the Pacers just didn't have a, a go-to person, play, whatever it was. It felt like they were rotating on who would take the last shot at the end. Sometimes it could be Brogdon, it could be Chris Duarte, it could be Laverde, it could be Sabonis, but it just never worked out. I think the Pacers need a closer and better execution, whether it's on the defensive side of things or if they have the ball in their hands, but they could not consistently execute, and that is why we saw so many three-point, one-point, two-point losses. Either way, one-possession losses last year plagued the Pacers early on. Do you want to hear some statistics from the last 26 games, Fachi, for five-point difference or less? Okay, get ready for this one. 29th and plus-minus in the clutch. 23rd and turnovers in the clutch. 25th 
in three-point percentage in the clutch at 21.4%, and 30th in field goal percentage in the clutch at 30.2%. Could not have been worse. Dead last at making shots in the clutch. I mean, these are eye-opening stats, and, and like other people on the other side of it could be, these aren't eye-opening. I watched it. It was horrible to watch, <laughs> but it's like, man, we're, we're talking about being either dead last or bottom three in every main defensive category when it mattered most. Yeah. And, and it's just, that's why I feel that the Pacers have a lot of room to be able to improve on the defensive side of things. But the flip side is that is because we're coming from, you know, being at the exact bottom. So, you know, you, you should expect improvement regardless of this team being much younger. Even if they're not trying to win games, it's just last year was was such a rough defensive showing that you'd like to believe we can only go up from here, right? I mean, that's that's what you would hope. I, I think, like oh. you said, we have to find that go-to guy. I think at this moment in the season, uh, not moment in the season, this this where we're at right now with our franchise, it's got to be Tyrese Halliburton. Um, has to be. He has to take on that role of okay, we're gonna live by my, you know, late game heroics. We're gonna die by him. I don't want to see Buddy Hill with the ball and his hand no. tripping the ball off his foot against the Sacramento Kings in a clutch in a clutch moment. While it did kind of help the record overall, make the Pacers a little bit worse than them, they still jumped us, <laughs> you know, in in the in the lottery. But I'm just saying, if you think about it, that is where. We need to see the ball in Halliburton's hands 95% of the time. Let him make the decision, whether it's him shooting a three, whether it's him getting to the rack, or him kicking it out to a buddy or a Duarte or a Miles or a Jalen or a Benedict Matherin, whoever. Let him make that decision because I'll be super happy 10 out of 10 times with whatever decision he makes as long as he's the one making the decision instead of, you know, like a TJ McConnell or exactly. a Buddy Heal, because I don't necessarily want the ball in their hands with the game on the line. No, but I mean, there's just so much that Halliburton can learn. Even if he doesn't make the shot, it's just you need to put these guys in these situations so they feel comfortable when it matters most. And that's honestly what I loved that the Pacers were doing with Chris Duarte at the beginning of the year, being able to let him take that big shot when it mattered most. Because it was just, this is a great experience. But yeah. if there's guys that aren't going to be here long-term, then you don't need to trust them with, with the game on the line because it's so important to get that experience for the Benedict Matherins, the Tyrese Halliburtons. So we got to find our guy in the clutch, and that's one thing that it's got to be extremely important. Absolutely. So there are five things we want to see the Pacers improve upon this season. But speaking of Benedict Mather and Foch, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to compare how the other former six overall picks played for their teams to start out the season. Were they starting? Were they coming off the bench? We've got all that for you. We're going to talk about that and whether it makes sense for Matherin to start or come off the bench for this Pacers team. We'll talk about that right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Fachi, so you went digging today to get us some facts here 
on what's going on with these former number six overall picks, similar to Benedict Mathern, going back all the way to 2012. So get us started there, and let's go through and let's hear some of these stats about these players. Oh, Alex, you know I keep that shovel on me. So starting <laughs> with 2012, Damian Lillard started all 82 games for Portland. He averaged 19 points, six and a half assists to go along with three rebounds. 43% shooting and 37% from three. Dame was given the keys early on, averaged 16 shots per game as a rookie, playing nearly 39 minutes per game to no surprise. Rookie of the year, all rookie first team. Okay, let's go 2013. 2013, Nerlens Noel unfortunately missed his entire rookie season after recovering from a torn ACL at Kentucky. Uh, his what would eventually be his rookie year. Uh, he went on to start 71 of the 75 games for the then trust the process 76ers. He averaged 10 points per game, eight rebounds, nearly two blocks per game, playing nearly 31 minutes per game, mm-hmm. all rookie first team. Okay. Wow. So Next. we've got two, two players that have done pretty well here. Yes, we have 2014 Marcus Smart. Uh, 2014-2015 All-Rookie Second Team, eventual Defensive Player of the Year and over now. But he played 36 games as a rookie. He started 38 of them. He played 27 minutes per game, averaging 7.8 points per game, three assists, three rebounds, but just 36% shooting and 33% from three. You said he played 36 games but started 38 of them. No, he, he played in 67 games, started okay. 38, uh, okay. 38 of them. Shot gotcha. 36% from three. Uh, gotcha. Field. gotcha, gotcha. Okay. that That's pretty good. So he probably started half of the games that year then. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Uh, basically about half of them, uh, a little bit more. In 2015, Willie Cauley-Stein, all-rookie second team. He played in 66 games, starting 39 of them, playing 21.4 minutes per game. He averaged seven points per game, 5.3 rebounds, about a block per game on 56% shooting. All right. Moving on next, 2016, our very own Buddy Heald, all rookie first team <laughs> selection. Buddy played all 82 games. He started 55 of them. If you could remember, Buddy was involved in the Demarcus Cousins trade, so he played for the Kings and Pelicans that year. Buddy averaged 10.6 points per game, 3.3 rebounds. He did it on 42% shooting and 39% from three. Mm, always been a good three-point shooter. Always has and hopefully always will be. <laughs> 2017, here's where things get a little bit, you know, a little bit foggy. Jonathan Isaac played mm. just 27 games as a rookie, um, played in 20, 20 minutes per game. Uh, Isaac only started, I believe it was one game that year or just a mm. handful, between one, one or four. Um, he averaged 5.4 points and 3.7 rebounds per game, one block, one steal, just 38% shooting. A very underwhelming rookie year for Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think he's always had injuries uh, kind of drag his career down, and it still seems to be ongoing now. So a uh, good player when healthy, but, man, uh, a lot of injuries for that young man. That it has been quite a few years since we've seen him. But in 2018, Mo Bamba, sixth mm. overall pick, struggled to live up to the hype as he was buried in Orlando behind uh, Vucevic. He played in 47 games, yet just one start. Uh, He played 16.3 minutes per game, averaged 6.2 points per game, and five rebounds, about a block and a half. Uh, Didn't become a starter until basically year four for Orlando. Mm, Wow, yeah. Well, Bamba's always been a mystery box that's never really panned out to be anything great, but 
did get another contract extension with the Magic. So he did. Um, not sure what they were thinking there on that. Kind of surprised by that, to be honest with you. But overall, uh, Mo Bamba, six overall pick, got a second contract. You, you can't hate on that. You can't. He does look good, but it did take him a while to get there. Yeah. 2019, a guy that I remember you liked. Jared Culver. Jared Culver. Oh, fresh this off, is the worst one. Yep. Fresh off of a run to the national championship with Texas Tech. Um, Culver played in 63 games as a rookie, made 35 starts, played 24 minutes per game. As a rookie, he averaged 9.2 points per game, three and a half rebounds, and a steal per game on 40% shooting. Just 30% from three. We quickly see his minutes decline and honestly is hanging on for dear life in the NBA at this moment. <laughs> no, you're right about that. I, I've honestly always felt like he was going to be this defensive prospect that really mm-hmm. panned out in the NBA. And unfortunately, he just did not fight you. So uh, one of those things where it's like Jared Culver, I uh, wish him nothing but the best. But yeah, it seems like his days are numbered in the NBA, unfortunately. That's sixth overall pick. It could be hit or miss. Here's a guy the verge is not yet out on. Could still be good. But in 2020, Onyeka Okongwu. Oh, uh, Onyeka, that's a hard one to pronounce, but Onyeka had a ton of hype in high school. If you can remember, he was teammates with LaMelo Ball coming out of USC. Highly touted prospect. He played in just 50 games as a rookie, logging just four starts, playing 12 minutes per game. The Hawks ended up going on a run to the conference finals. Likely had a, a factor in the lack of playing time. Averaged just four and a half points per game, 3.3 rebounds, but shot 64% from the field. Year two, as I'm looking a little bit better, but uh, the verdict's still not fully out on if he'll be able to live up to the sixth overall pick. Oh, man, I think he's actually going to be something very special for the Atlanta Hawks. He could. I think he's going to eventually replace Clint Capella. It could even be as soon as this season, but... I'm not going to be brave enough to make that hot take, but I do like Okongwu. I think he's a special player, and I think that Nate McMillan really likes him as well. They do need to clear more playing time for him because even last year and uh, year two, just six starts in the 48 games that he appeared in, but he did average eight and six boards on 69% shooting, so enough to be encouraged. Yeah. However, 2021, Josh Giddy. Mm. All, uh, NBA All-Rookie second team, Giddy flashed a ton of talent. He started all 54 games that he played in, averaging 31.5 minutes per game with 12.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, 6.4 assists, shot 42% from the field, just 26% from three, but that had always kind of been the knock on his game coming into it. I was very impressed with Giddy in year one and think that he could be a breakout player in year two. Yeah, no, Josh Giddy's going to have a lot on his shoulders this year, especially with uh, SGA recovering from an injury, Chet out for the year. Could be another great year for him to develop and showcase what he is all about because I think he's a special talent. And Fachi, that gets us to number six of the 2022 draft, which is who? Our very own Benedict Matherin. Very mm. excited about Matherin. Um, as you can see, the list that we went through, very hit or miss, but there was a lot of all-rookie First team guys on there, uh, which makes me feel that he could be joining that list. However, to be honest, Damian Lillard, the only one to be uh, an all-star out of the group. Mm. So, uh, you know, man, uh, what's your thoughts overall when going through this list and how some of these players either were as a rookie or how they've panned out since? I will say going off this list, Fachi, there's been a lot of impactful players 
that have been given opportunities early on in their career to showcase what they can do. There's obviously been a few misses in there as well, but that's the uh, that's what happens when you whenever you draft like this. But I think it's just it's the nature of the draft. You're going to have hits and misses, but ultimately, I really like what this six overall pick has put out in totality. So to make it a little bit simpler, can you go through the list one more time from 2012 to 2021 and just say the player's name and let me know how many games they started as a rookie? Absolutely. So Damian Lillard in 2012, uh, 82 games started. 2013, New Orleans Noel, while he missed his rookie season, his uh, overall, you know, his sophomore year, I guess, uh, he started 71 out of the 75 games. Uh, Marcus Smart in 2014 played 67 games, started 38 of them. Willie Cauley-Stein uh, played in 66 games. He started 39 of them. Buddy Heald in 2016 started 55 out of the 82 games. Jonathan Isaac played in 27 games. I, I don't believe he started more than, than four games over there. It was either one or four. Um, in 2018, Mo Bamba uh, played in 47 games, just one start. Uh, in 2019, Jared Culver um, played in 63 games. He made 35 starts. In 2020, Onyeka Okongwu um, uh, played 50 games, just four starts. And then Josh Giddy in 2021 started all 54 games that he played in. So about half of the players that you mentioned started for the majority of their rookie season. And the other half really struggled to get on the court and see consistent playing mm -hmm. time is what it looks like. So I, I think for the Pacers with Benedict Matherin, it's not the end of the world that he's coming off the bench more than likely to start the season out based on what we've seen in practice and how the teams have looked. But I do think with where this team is at compared to where some of these other teams were at potentially, we're more rebuilding than like a team like Orlando was when they were still trying to win games with Vooch as the center. So I think you have a veteran in Buddy Heald. It makes sense, Fachi, to bring Matherin off the bench and let Buddy Heald showcase himself if he is truly going to be traded. But at the same time, I would love to see Halliburton, Heald, and Duarte as much as I can together. No, I, I completely agree. That is what the people want. We want to see those three really develop over the next few years. The one thing that, that I saw, I mean, Jonathan Isaac ended up getting, you know, far better or, or far more promising, ended up getting a big contract. I know he hasn't played since, but, and same with Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba got better as years went on, but for guys like, you know, I mean, I, I guess eventually there was a lot of late bloomers here over at the sixth overall pick. Some of those guys were one and done. At least Benedict Matherin had played two years in college, so maybe a little bit more polished than uh, an Onyeka Okangu or maybe, for instance, uh, Mo Bamba, who played just one year in college as well. Willie Cauley-Stein only played one year in college. So some of those guys maybe might have had bigger learning curves. But uh, overall... The one thing that did scare me was Damian Lillard being the only all-star out of the group. So that's something that I had my eyes on when I went through this list. It's like, man, I don't know. But Josh Giddy does have all-star potential, so that makes me feel a little bit better. And then there are some other players like Buddy Heald overall has been a guy that, you know, really good three-point shooter in this league. You know, maybe not what you hope for at sixth overall, but – has been a very good NBA player overall. But then every now and then you're going to get the Jared Culver's in there. 
You're going to get the Nerlens Noels, the Willie Cauley Steins, a little bit of more along the lines of role players. Yeah, and I think that's okay. I think the Pacers are hoping that they hit on a star. So we can only hope that he has a similar trajectory of a Damian Lillard or a Josh Giddy or even a Marcus Smart. I mean, Marcus yeah. Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, honestly could have been the backbone last year for that Celtics team that made it to the NBA Finals and lost in six games. So I just feel like Marcus Smart – was one of those guys that was brought up in trade rumors for like four to five years straight. Yep. It felt like he was always going to be on the move. There was talks about the Pacers having interest, but Boston could never let him go. And I think that was a smart decision because he meant that much to their team, their defense, and their identity. So, you know, you don't have to be an all-star to be incredibly impactful for your team because it really you need a mark of smart on your team if you you're going to be successful. So I honestly felt like the list was better than I anticipated. Obviously, there are some big whiffs. You know, yep. Willie Colley Stein. I mean, it's a big whiff, same as Jared Culver. But, uh, you know, Mo Bamba injury concerns really just drafted to a bad team, in my opinion, that didn't give him the, you know, opportunity to shine as much. But there was times last year when he looked pretty good when he played. Oh, definitely. So I, I personally felt like the sixth overall pick, the resume has not been as bad as I thought it would be, Fachi, in terms of players that were drafted there. No, no, it, it it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I mean, even for Marcus Smart, just to highlight this, uh, I mean, a three-time All NBA Defensive you know, Selection guy. So overall, you're getting a really good, I guess you you call him a role player, but a really good role player right over there. And you know, if you're the Pacers, when this is the the highest that you picked in basically just over thirty years. Maybe you're not looking for a really good role player, but I would like to think that Bendik Matherin's ceiling is higher than some of these guys like Nerlens Noel, who was coming off of an ACL tear. Absolutely, Flashy. So, I mean, I think that kind of wraps up everything we have to talk about today. So hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation. We're going to have some more podcasts coming out later this week, but until then, Flashy, let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. You can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Or go to Google, type in Setting the Pace YouTube, and you will find us there. But if you're excited for preseason action on Wednesday night against the Charlotte Hornets, and Fachi, let me hear you say those three words. Let's go, Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.